eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This week on In the Archives with the Boone Podcast, an NBA legend. He was a two-time NCAA national champion and a two-time NBA champion. The one and only Bill Walton. Sometimes you just need to enjoy a classic. Join us as we go into the archives. Hey, we going back. And put our ear to the history books with this one. This is Into the Archives. Here's your host, Brett Boom. You get to, when you're finishing at Felix, we, we you know, it's it's yeah. obvious where you went. Or, I'm sorry, Helix. Yeah. You know, I, I know you I know you go on to UCLA. And, yeah. I, and, and I heard a, a man by the name of Dennis, Dennis Crumb. When, he's, talk, when yeah. he's talking about a young Bill Walton, says best high school player I've ever seen. Yeah. Was it always going to be UCLA for you? Did you that's consider other colleges? There was no other choice. I, I, that's what I wanted. And uh, I, I loved UCLA's history with the uh, engagement, the, 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 the civic engagement of its players, the, uh, the all the, the record breakers, the, the, uh, norm breakers i mean whether it's jackie robinson whether it's ralph bunch whether it's uh uh gosh i can't think of the basketball player who was the first everything uh this was just before john wooden the name will pop up into the smoking crater that's my mind and then arthur ash and rayford johnson and walt hazard and kareem and sydney wicks and all my heroes and you know gary beaver just phenomenal and just love all those guys. And I, I love UCLA. I was, I was just so happy they wanted me. But I, I was a very confident basketball player. I never lacked for confidence in basketball. I lacked for confidence in life because I couldn't speak. And I couldn't go up to anybody and say something. And that uh, nothing has changed my life more than learning how to speak. And uh, I, I have a lot of friends that tell me, Bill, we used to like you a lot more before you learned how to talk. <laughs> Oh. You're, I mean, the, your credentials at college, they're, they're ridiculous. I was looking at it. I'm like, is that a typo? He's three-time college player of the year. I've never you seen know, that I, at, co- I was at lucky. college. We, we had, look, I, I had great coaches, great culture, great foundation, great uh, teammates. You know, uh, John Wooden, you know, he told me at the very beginning, 
he said, Bill, I know what everybody else is promising you, but because, you know, you let your imagination run wild, what they were offering me uh, coming out of high school. But I, I was not interested in that. I used to think I had a vivid imagination, but that was before I met some of these other guys. And, uh, and they changed the entire spectrum of what was going on out there. But uh, I wanted to go to UCLA. John Wooden came to the house. Uh, my mom just passed away. She lived there for 69 years, right there in the banks of Lake Murray. And it was just fantastic. I was the last person to see her. It was January 8th. She was 23 days shy of being 95. And she had come as a young girl uh, from Brooklyn. Her father had died and uh, at an early age. And so her mom and my and my mom came to San Diego. I said, we're, we're out of Brooklyn. We're going to San Diego. And it was, I'm so glad they did, because this is the greatest place on earth. I mean, this this has got everything, and you can do everything every single day. And the, the business here is fantastic. One of the things I'm involved in, I've never been busier in my life, but one of the things I'm involved with, uh, a nonprofit organization called San Diego Sport Innovators, where we create companies, jobs, and grow commerce here. I'm a volunteer. When a lot of us are volunteers, we have four paid employees, but we represent the 1,200 sports and active lifestyle companies here in San Diego that generate an economic impact of more than $6 billion a year. Because everybody like you, like me, we all want to live here, but we also need jobs. And so guys come and they realize you got to get a job. So they start companies, you know, whether it's a technology company, whether it's an equipment company, whether it's a supply company, an apparel company, a training company, you name it. And so uh, our San Diego Sport Innovators we represent them all. And, and because of COVID and because of the modern technology advances that we've had, particularly driven by COVID, uh, we are now able to expand our reach to it being global. So, you know, we're not just limited to the companies here in Southern California and particularly Southern Orange County and San Diego. Now we're helping companies uh, throughout Europe and throughout Australia and Asia and it, it's just fantastic. How long have you been involved with that? Uh, ever since I came back for, out from my spine failure and collapse, I missed four and a half years of my life uh, when uh, starting on February 24th, 2008. Not that I remember the date, but <laughs> I was uh, getting off a plane. I fly a lot and I still do, uh, much to my doctor's dismay, but I'm feeling fantastic. But February 24th, 2008, I got off the plane. I couldn't move. And I, I just, I, you know, flying 600, 700,000 miles a year, 200 nights a year plus on the road all the time. And uh, I broke my back when I was playing for UCLA in college, January 7, 1974. Not that I remember the date, but I spent then the next four and a half years on the ground, unable to move, unable to function, unable to work, unable to do anything. I did have spine surgery at the one year mark of that. And uh, I'm all better now, but it was the longest, hardest, toughest thing I've ever done in my life. I didn't think I was going to make it. I was going to commit suicide. My life was not worth it. I had no life. I just, all I could do was lie on the ground and wish, wish beyond any wish you've ever had that this pain would go away. That I can only describe the pain as being submerged into a vat of scalding acid that had electrifying current running through it, and you could never ever get out just that burning nerve pain that goes throughout your whole body there's there's just nothing nothing that can compare to it more people commit suicide from spine pain than from any other medical 
challenge malady. And, and so I spend a ton of time to this day mentoring, counseling, talking people back uh, off the edge of the cliff. And it, it, it's, it, it's uh, incredibly rewarding as it is working for San Diego Sport Innovators and all this stuff. You know, I only do things that make me, you know, feel good about life. And, you know, and, I'm, and I've been lucky in that uh, uh, I've been able to, you know, to have a great life. And we have uh, six wonderful children, all happily married, 14 grandchildren. And my parents have passed, but Lori's are just right across the way there. In the, 99 and 94. The, 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 they're the coolest people ever, man. And, you know, you know, like my parents, you know, they, they uh, went through the depression, went through World War II. And so the, they don't sit around and complain. No, they, they say that, you know, and when I'm as a mentor myself, because I mentor a lot of people who are in trouble, who are struggling, health, uh, mental challenges, uh, physical challenges, business challenges. And I always tell them, hey, man, look, I'll, I will listen to your whining and your complaining and your excuses one time. But from then on, I want to hear about what you're doing about it. I want to hear a positive response. I want to hear the actions that you're taking that are going to improve your situation and ultimately make other people's situations better. Get out of the problem. Get into the solution. There you go. You sound like you should be a coach or a broadcaster. Or I, a teacher, lo- <laughs> I love it. An executive. How about I, all the great baseball players in San Diego, though? I mean, come on. We talked, about, we talked about Ted. But Alan Trammell. Alan Tra- Trammell. Yeah, Trammell's a Boone podcast guy. He's yeah, been on Adrian the- Gonzalez, San Diego. Adrian East Gonzalez. Lake. So yeah. East Lake, that's in the Chula Vista, man. Oh, my we, God. We, we got a lot of guys. We got Katze. We got Trevor Hoffman's. Uh, it's, oh, it's, Trevor. There's, there's too many to name. There's is Trevor from San Trevor's not from San Diego. Uh, Trevor's from Orange County. He grew okay. up. We played high school against each other, and then he wow. came down to the San Diego area. What an awesome dude, and how great are the Padres, man? I'm a Padre fan. Padres are, are good. We're getting Tatis back the second half of the season. So I, uh, love, I love Petco Park and what the Sidlers have done, what Ron Fowler did to yep. just make it all happen. I mean – to know all these people. I love to go to Petco Park and watch the games, particularly when I get to sit in Peter Seidler and Tom Seidler's box. That's owner. right. The owner's box, right? That, right behind home plate. That's a good spot there. And our band is going to play there. I play in a band. Really? Oh, yeah. Our band's going to play there. What's, August, it, what's the name of your band? The Electric Waste Band. Electric Waste, W-A-S-T-E. We're, uh, uh, we're into uh, recycling and renewable energy. Uh, uh the electric waste band. We're going to play. What's August the date? 2nd, yeah, August second. Okay. The park in the park in the park, right in the back there, and uh, we're going to be playing. We played there just before COVID hit, and it was uh, it was the greatest moment of my life. That uh, that is that is very cool. And remind me at the end of this podcast, we got to tell that to the Boone Podcast listeners to get them out there. Right, August second, Petco Park. We're ready to go. I started with the electric waste band. 30 plus years ago, I started as a fan down in Ocean Beach at Winston's. I might and, even have to show up for that, Billy. And then you're, you're my guest. You just come on and bring your whole bring your whole group of friends. We'll have a great time. And so uh, down at Winston's, I used to go all the time. And, uh, and then one night they were shorthanded. And so they, uh, they asked me if I would help them move some of the equipment around. So I became a roadie for a long time. And then they asked me to, to be a percussionist. And then they uh, gave me a microphone. And then after they gave me the microphone, uh, uh, quite a bit after they gave me the microphone, they actually turned it on. 
And so now we're just, uh, I play a lot with them and uh, we're going to be playing uh, a, a lot in the upcoming weeks and months. And they keep going. They're all professionals, but I, I'm just, uh, I'm just the prop. I'm the lucky, happy guy. And you talk about teaching and, and mentoring and no. probably the ultimate. You've mentioned him already at the top of the show, John Wooden. Oh, my God. Every, everybody knows the, the uh, historical run of UCL, UCLA basketball. Like I mentioned, you had three college it, players of the year. not two, into that. No, two, no, no. That's what I wanted to ask you, though, is. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody knows John Wooden, the coach, but I know you had a special relationship with him. I want to know about John Wooden, the man. I, I read something very interesting and you can probably attest to it that his wife, Nellie, yeah. uh, he'd write a letter to her every day. Right. And, so, and inter- that's okay. interesting to me. All right. So, I'm going to so let you tell that. In. So I was coach Wooden's easiest recruit. I became his worst nightmare and I drove the poor guy to an early grave at 99. Now his wife, who was his high school sweetheart and the only girl he ever dated, although she was quick to point out that she had dated other guys and, but coach Wooden loved Nell. And he called her Nellie, Nell, and uh, we were terrified of the coach and even more so of his wife because we were teenagers, right? And they were in their mid-60s at the time. And so, uh, but we, we we knew that he had our best interest at heart. He was just... You know, he, he was just a lot different than we all were. We were all Southern California guys in the 60s and the 70s, and we were living the dream. 
and having the time of our life. And we certainly didn't want a 65-year-old guy looking over our shoulder at all times because he took his job very, very seriously. And while he was this remarkable teacher and coach, I don't think he knew. I don't think he was aware of how great a teacher that he was and the impact that he had. He was not into credit. He was not into recognition. He was not into accolades. He was not into acknowledgement. He was a man of action. And he worked to the very last day of his life. I was there. And I was there when in 1985 when Nell got sick. And she had to spend a lot of time in the hospital. And it was the hospital right off the Hollywood freeway between downtown L.A., which has completely been redone. It's remarkable what uh, what they have done with downtown Los Angeles and all the founders of California, Southern California, what they've done in terms of building it all up. And Hollywood, the Hollywood Bowl, and where we're going to see John Fogarty coming up in, uh, in a, less than a, in about a week now, a week from Saturday night. And it's almost Saturday night, John Fogarty. And I, t- I hope he's going to play that. The last Saturday night we saw him, he didn't play it. And I was uh, quite disappointed, but uh, I'll get over it. So anyway, she was in the hospital right off the freeway on the south side of the 101 freeway. And I would I was in L.A. a lot. So I'd go every day to the hospital and sit with him. And and we just, you know, I tried to help him pass the time because she was in the hospital. She was in the in the room and she couldn't be seen by anybody. And we just sit there and laugh and cry and think and talk and reminisce and dream and do all the stuff that you do when you're when you know, when your spouse is in the hospital and going to die. And so one day I get there at the appointed and regular time. He's not there, and uh, so that and the nurse came up to me and said, "Bill, nail passed. Nail passed this morning." And so the coach went home. And so it was just very sad. And you know, he lived another twenty five years after that and he never stopped moving never stopped working and just was incredible the the schedule that he kept and he was a man of action but what he did she died on the 21st of the month and every 21st day of every month for 25 years he would handwrite a letter to Nell a love letter to Nell and then he would place it on the bed where she slept and then when he got enough of them, he would take them out to the cemetery and put them on her grave. And it was just an absolute incredible relationship. And, you know, she, because he, he always wanted, you know, he knew he had to be strict. He knew he had to be tough. He was demanding. He was challenging, but he was fair most of the time. And he was all is super fun. It was upbeat. We couldn't wait to get to practice, but she was the guy who was, she was the person now who was, you know, there to, to, to be the gatekeeper because everybody wanted something from John Wood. And, and he would never turn anybody down. But uh, uh, she was she was fantastic. He was incredible. And uh, I just uh, I remember uh, when he died and uh, I was in Los Angeles when he died and I'd been to the hospital and I got to say my goodbyes. And then uh, on the day he died, it was a. Uh, a national television broadcast for uh, the NBA finals, the Lakers and Celtics. And Kareem and I were both there. And Kareem and I both uh, uh, spoke to the Staples crowd and to the national 
intergalactic television audience for that Celtic Laker finals game about uh, how wonderful John Wooden was. And I talked about that night, I talked about how, uh, how he was tough, fierce, demanding, challenging, exacting, humble, giving, caring, loving, concerned, fair, fun, but that over time, he, he changed. He changed because of the circumstances in his life. In the 1920s and early 30s, through the 30s, really, he was the first great basketball player in the history of the sport. His high school games, he lived in a town of 4,000 people. The high school gym sat 10,000 people. When he played, every game was sold out with 10,000 people, and there'd be 15,000 more people outside trying to get in, and they would put it on the radio, I believe, for the people outside. This was as a high school player. And then he goes to Purdue and changes the whole sport of basketball. But then, like everybody else, everybody, he could no longer play as he, as he got older and he got injuries that kept him from going. And so then he became a teacher. He needed money. He needed a job. He had a family, a Nell and two children, uh, Jim, and, uh, Jim and Nan. And so, they were, so he went and got a high school teaching job to teach English because his major went from engineering to English because he could have the summers off in college being an English major and he could work to get money to pay for his life. And so they were paying him as the high school English teacher. They were paying him $3,500 a year. That was his yearly salary, $3,500. And he couldn't make it on $3,500. So he went into the school and he negotiated a deal that he would become the athletic director the baseball coach, which was his first love, and then the basketball coach too, which were, he was best at basketball. And so, uh, and they said, okay, you do those three things, we'll pay you an extra $1,500 for the year. And Coach Wooden said, okay, I can, 5,000, we can make it. And so he coaches there two years of high school at uh, in Dayton, Kentucky. And then he gets the job back in Indiana at, at uh, South Bend Central High School, right on the, on the edge of Notre Dame's campus. And he, he's there for nine seasons, and then he gets he gets to be the coach. Uh, he, his first coaching job he uh, at Indiana State Teachers College, which is where Larry Bird was the uh, uh, ultimate uh, star player for that team. But you know, Larry was so remarkable, and Larry quit his Larry quit basketball to be, uh, because you know he, he didn't like the situation he was in. He went, that's how much he disliked it. He quit basketball and went home and spent a year as a garbage collector, riding on the back of the truck, collecting the garbage. That's another story for another day. So Coach Wooden then is, develops this remarkable basketball team in right at the end of World War II. Where he, Coach Wooden was in the Navy during World War II, but never left the continental United States. Uh, he was uh, keeping things together here at home. And so then while he's at Indiana State Teachers College, they're winning all these games and like torching everybody, right? And in those days, they, the the college tournaments were all about uh, invitation. And the people who were running the tournaments would call up all the different teams, say, hey, will you come play in our tournament? And so they wanted Coach Wooden's teams because he was so famous as a player. And now he was developing into this remarkable coach where the teams were just fun and fast. And I mean, Golden State Warrior type basketball, right? Shoot, press, fast break, and beautiful passing. And so they, you know, they call him up and say, coach, will you please bring your team to our national championship tournament? He said, fine, I'd love to come. 
and then they make the deal and everything on the phone. And then at the last bit, as they're saying goodbye, the guy who's running the tournament, he was saying, he said, hey, Coach Wooden, just one last thing. Uh, we, are, we are aware that you have some black players on your team. And please, don't bring the black guys. They're not welcome here. And so Coach Wooden would, would say, oh, okay, well, if we, if we can't all come and if we can't all stay in the same hotel, if we can't all eat in the same restaurants, none of us should come. And so they didn't go. And then there was the opportunity, and he came to UCLA, which changed everything. And that was an epic story in itself about a, 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 a missed phone call because of the weather coming out of Minnesota. He wanted, he's a Big Ten guy. He wanted to go to the, he wanted to go to Minnesota. UCLA was just getting started. He's not a California guy, uh, but Minnesota failed to meet the time commitment because of the snowstorm in the spring that knocked down the telephone line. Coach Wooden thought they weren't interested. UCLA was scheduled to call, to, uh, call second. He was going to turn them down. Minnesota didn't call because they couldn't get through because of the line. UCLA called and Coach Wooden accepted the job. And then right after he accepted the job, Minnesota was able to complete the call. And Coach Wooden said, I've already given my word. And the rest is history. Although when he got to UCLA, he didn't like it at all. And after one year, he went into the athletic director, read, read uh, Saunders or Sanders, I'm kidding. Sanders, I think. Saunders, Sanders, read. He was the football coach, became athletic director. And Coach Wooden told him, we don't like it here. We want to go back to the Midwest. And Red, the athletic director, looked at him and said, Johnny, when you because all the old guys called him Johnny. We, we called him Coach. <laughs> Later on, we would tease him and call him Johnny, but we called him Coach. And so he and Red looked at Coach and said, Johnny, when you came out here, you wanted a three-year contract because you wanted the stability of bringing your family for the first time ever to the West Coast and to Los Angeles. And so, Coach, I'm just going to remind you that you signed a three-year contract. And that's all Red had to say. And Coach Wooden looked at him and said, I will honor that contract. And he stayed for the next 27 years and set all the records and changed everything. And I was the luckiest guy in the world. And I, I was the luckiest guy. I spent uh, 43 years of my life with him, Brett. Uh, three as a high school player. He, he called every Monday night for three years. Every, called every, came to our games, came to our house. And uh, they, they were the most professional, the most ordinary. Denny Crum did the vast majority of the work, but Coach Wooden was always there. And, and then the four years I played for him, which was just it, it's spectacular. Every day, man, I'm just with this, this guy. And, and, and then, uh, the, but the best years by far were the 36 years after, after uh, we stopped playing for him. Because then he became your friend. Because when, he was, when you were playing for him, he wasn't your friend. No, man, he had a job to do. And he took that job very seriously, man. He was driving you. His job was to make us great at what we were doing. More importantly, make us great as human beings. And then as we're going through this 36-year deal with Coach Wooden, and, you know, we're doing so many different things. I mean, you name it, we were doing it. And we spent a lot of time in his house, and there'd be a, a, a core group of guys, you know, eight to 10 people always rotating, but a lot of them the same all the time. Andy Hill, Mike Warren, Lucius Allen, Keith Erickson, uh, 
Jamal Wilkes, uh, uh, Kenny Washington. I'm, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to leave guys out. It's not intentional. I just, I just, I have no memory, right? And so uh, we'd be sitting there. We'd go to Vince for breakfast on on Ventura Boulevard in Encino, and then we go back to his house, right? And he would, and he, because when, when we played for him, Brett, he never talked about himself, never. When we played for him, he never talked about anything other than us. He just, he, he, he said, okay. My job, I got 12 guys here. My job is to make these guys great. And that's all I'm going to do. He never went out and gave corporate speeches. He was never, never mispracticed, never was out doing media stuff. <laughs> this guy, he was our basketball coach. I mean, when you, like, when I need a quote, when I'm feeling down, I need something inspirational. I, I, I go and look at Albert Einstein quotes, Franklin Roosevelt quotes, Mark Twain quotes, Robert Hunter quotes, Bob Dylan quotes, or John Wooden quotes. He was our college basketball coach. And, and so he would be sitting there in, you know, in his house, in his condo there in Encino. We called it the mansion on Margate. It was far from a mansion, but it was a, it was a good moniker. And so he'd be telling these stories that were beyond belief, and most of them about baseball because he loved baseball. Uh, in fact, when the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 80s, the owner of the team called him up and said, I, I want you to be the coach of our team. And, I, you know, the manager of the team. And, and Coach Wooden said, what are you talking about? I'm 85 years old. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he said, I don't care. I just want you to be the coach of the manager of our team. And money's not an issue. You name your price and I'll pay it. And Coach Wooden just calmly said, you know, I'm. it's very nice. I'm flattered. But I'm going to have to. Uh, turn it down respectfully uh, because I'm not qualified to do this. And there are so many people who really want the job and I don't. And so uh, he could do anything. I mean, he was that kind of person. He sounds like a special guy. So, and, so, he would I, tell all the, so he would tell all these stories, right? Mostly about baseball, which we could not believe the stuff he would tell in, in intricate detail. You know, who was playing, where it was, what the day of the week or what the weather was like, the spectacular play, triple plays, you know, home runs on the last pitch of the game. Just in phenomenal stuff that you would say, there's no way this ever happened. And then in 2000, the Internet came along and smartphones came along in the early days of Blackberries, ultimately from 2007 when the iPhone came along. And so... Then we're all sitting there listening to these, just being regaled by these magnificent stories of glory. And, and there'd be somebody in the back of the room fact-checking what he was saying. And he was always 100% accurate. Never any embellishment, never any exaggeration. It was truly remarkable. We love that guy. What do you what do you think? You say you drove him nuts. I know you yeah. were you were kind of a crazy kid. You were protested. You were uh, leading sit-ins uh, at the dean's office. I'm an engaged citizen and still am <laughs> to this day. I care. Right? I never miss an election. I'm involved in everything going on. I want our world to be as great as it possibly can be and include as many people as possible. I'm about inclusion, I'm about diversity, I'm about equity, I'm about fairness about opportunity, and I'm willing to stand up and fight for that. And when I, when I say that, I just am so proud of Kareem, who was like the greatest player I ever played against. And Coach Wooden, Coach Wooden, as great as he was as a player, and he was the best, 
as great as he was as a coach, and he was the best, he was more impactful once he retired because his audience was so much bigger and he was speaking to the world then. And that is the same career path that Kareem has taken. Kareem, the best player. Kareem, the best player at, at every level. And, and then now, what he's doing now with his Kareem.substack.com and writing and speaking and videos and uh, all the different things. He is having, he, he is doing exactly what Coach Wooden did, having greater impact, greater impact as a in his post-playing career than he ever did as, as the most dominant player ever. I mean, Kareem has all the records. And it's just phenomenal. Anybody ever played against him would say he was the greatest player they ever played against. Yeah, including me. That was, you know, that was my time when I was a kid. So you asked me why I was, why I was his worst nightmare. Right. You said, you said that you were, you, uh, you I, drove, I mean, you drove, I, you drove him crazy. I did. I, I drove him to an early grave at 99. Right, right. At 99. Yeah. So I always wanted to know why, you know, why I had to cut my hair, why I had to shave, why I had to wear the clothes he wanted me to wear, why Nixon was president, why we were in Vietnam and why couldn't the cheerleaders be in my hotel room on the road trips? <laughs> and he would just, and he would, he would listen to everything I tried to say. I'm a stutterer, right? I couldn't say it, but he would listen very patient and he would finally have enough and he would roll his eyes and wave his hands and he'd lean into me and say, Bill, it's all fine and good that you think that way, but I'm the coach. And while we've enjoyed having you, we're going to miss you. And that's all it, he said that, Every day to me, and and I and there was there was nothing more important than being part of the team, I, and I and we all knew one of the reasons you know because he Neil Young has a song Neil Young's got a lot of songs but the song in particular right now is Are you passionate and uh, and the chorus kind of goes like Are you living like you talk Are you dreaming as if you're going to the top. And that was John Wooden. John Wooden, he lived the talk. And we never doubted for a minute that if we didn't do exactly what he said, that we're, we're out of there. And, uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, there, was, there was one guy, and this is a longer story than we have time for because I'm running out. But uh, there was one guy that uh, didn't do uh, – he, he did the right thing, but it wasn't the right thing for John Wooden. And, and this guy ended up in Tasmania, which is an island off the southern coast of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and used to be uh, one of the worst locations of the penal colonies that the British had established in, the, in Australia. When uh, Please read The Fatal Shore. Oh, my gosh. Robert Hughes. Uh, just the, the discovery, the settlement, uh, the penal colonies of Australia. Just a remarkable book. I, I was so lucky. My mom was a librarian. And then I met David Halberstam. Uh, as I met Marty Clickman, as I, you know, all my coaches and all the incredibly famous people that I've been, uh, and interesting people and people who cared about other people. And so David Halberstam not only uh, wrote a book, The Breaks of the Game, about our, our Blazer team, uh, uh, 
and but uh, we, we became friends and then and he would always recommend books to me whenever I was going and who and whatever team was surging to the top whether it was San Antonio or Chicago or Houston he'd, he'd recommend books about those places about the history of these places right and the people that you know founded them and everything and then uh, and then he'd pick up the newspaper and I was in the hospital going in for operations all the time. I've had 39 orthopedic operations and he would read in the newspaper that I was going to have another operation. So he'd go down to his local bookstore and he'd just walk around and fill up a box and mail me this box of fantastic books that I would just devour because all I could do was lie in bed and waiting for the operation to heal. And so uh, I'm, I'm a very avid reader to this very day. Very cool. Your number one pick, Trailblazers. You win the championship in '77. I believe you're the you're the MVP in '78. You yeah. later in your career, though, as a veteran player, you go to the Boston Celtics right. and you get to play. And you mentioned him earlier. He's one of my favorites uh, growing up. Was Larry Bird? You play on that championship team in 1986. Your second championship. Tell me the difference between doing it as a young kid. In the in the prime of his career, where you win the MVP that the next year versus the second championship you win as a veteran player, I believe that year you're sixth man of the year, yeah. and you and you're playing kind of a you're a role player. You're not the man in the middle of the action. You're you're actually the sixth man. Explain the differences of those two championships. Uh, completely different, but I have learned over the course of my now 69 years to not rank, rate, or compare things, just to enjoy them all. Particularly concerts, coaches, children, championships, and congratulations. And so I've been part of some of the greatest teams ever. I also spent six years of my life with Donald Sterling. So I know the difference between the top and the bottom. And David Halberstam was instrumental in me going to Stanford Law School when I was told I would never play again. While I was there in the early 80s, I had, this was 40 plus years ago, I had experimental pioneering surgery on my foot that had never worked before. And the doctors said, this is not about playing basketball, Bill. You've got to stop and you've got to, you know, get on with the, with your life uh, because the op- the next option if this doesn't work, we're going to have to cut your foot off. And I'm 28 years old. And so I stopped, but then I had the operation and it worked. And so it, while I was at Stanford, I got able to start playing again. And Halberstam was the guy that steered me to Stanford. And then I come back and play a little bit more for Donald Sterling. And I realized that there's no future there. And so David Halberstam finds that out and he calls me up and says, Hey man, you got to go to the Celtics. And he had, you know, he's a New York city guy, Washington DC guy, uh, but he had gone to college at Harvard. And so he, and he knew the Celtics and he knew how great the life was there. I had no idea. I'm, a, I'm like you, man, I'm a Southern California boy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm the, if the pilgrims had landed just over here in mission beach, Everything over here, east of the Rocky Mountains, would be a big national park, but wilderness areas. But so now, uh, you know, I ended up uh, uh, buying my way onto the Boston Celtics. And I got there, and it was fantastic. And David told me where to live. I lived in Cambridge, just right down the street from Harvard Square and in Harvard. And uh, it was fantastic. And I got to play with Larry Bird, who was the greatest player I ever played with. I got to play with Kevin McHale. Uh, who was the second greatest low post player I ever played against. 
And I got to play with Robert Parrish, uh, who was the foundation of the team and the anchor, just the, the fundamental guy who was right there and allowed all the craziness on the perimeter to exist because he was holding down the middle. And then Dennis Johnson, who was there on, on uh, April 18th, 1978, the day that uh, I took a pain dealing injection in my foot and the undiagnosed stress fracture in my foot, uh, the bone split in half. And uh, Danny Ainge, who I go back to his high school days when he was coming up and playing with us on the Blazers when he was in high school in Eugene, and he was just phenomenal. Then he belongs in the Hall of Fame. We had all these other guys on the bench, Scott Wedman, Jerry Seasting, Rick Carlisle, uh, and Sam Vincent, David Thirdfield, Greg Kite. And we had Casey Jones, who, who we loved as a coach. We would do anything for the guy. And then Red Auerbach was our boss. And, you know, Red was like John Wooden. Red was like Al Davis. And, you know, and to, to know Al Davis and to know John Madden from my days in the Bay Area. And just it's just fantastic. And that movie that... Uh, ESPN did about Roselle and Al Davis, which was fantastic because while free agency has been the greatest thing in the world of sports, in, in world of professional sports, in terms of making it better for everybody, franchise free agency, which Al Davis fought for, that's the second most important thing for the success of professional sports. And to know these people and to learn from them, and it, it was just such a joy. I knew the basketball would be great. I had no idea how great the life would be. The friends I've met back there who I still in touch with today and uh, go back every year to the Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremonies. I've been most fortunate to have presented eight players into the Hall of Fame. Dr. J leads the, leads the way. He's doubled, tripled up everybody else. Uh, Dr. J so happy in today's news that uh, Dr. J and, and, and his ABA teammates were able to get a, a, a pension commitment from the NBA. And so uh, what the NBA has done with the pension uh, for the players and the health care benefits for the players, I know that in baseball, you guys have by far the best. Yeah. Uh, but basketball is, is come a long, long way. And it's a game-changing situation because uh, – those of us who play basketball their whole lives, there's no way we can get insurance. I mean, the insurance companies look at us and they say, get out of here. They go running the other way. You're on your own, right? <laughs> but uh, the NBA, the, the Players Association, Chris Paul, uh, he, he led the charge there and convinced the NBA of, of, of doing the right thing. And so they've done that. And, and, and well, we're all doing a lot better because of that. And, and my health, my health today is better than it's ever been and, uh, because of my uh, I found when, when I when I went down in the, on February twenty fourth two thousand eight and, and couldn't show up to work for the first time in eighteen years. Uh, uh, Jim Gray uh, looked around, and said, "Where's Bill?" And they said, "Well, he's on the ground. He can't move. He's not going to be able to work." And so Jim called me every day. Jim found my doctor. Jim found Steve Darkin at UC San Diego. He found the medical device company that was pioneering the technological, scientific, and procedural advancements uh, in spine surgery that have saved my life and countless others. Because, you know, what happens when you have spine problems and the world learns about them? You are bombarded and overwhelmed with people coming to you and say, your life is over. Whatever you do, don't do surgery. There's no chance. You might as well just kill yourself now because you have no chance, no path forward. And so that's what happened to me. 
And then Jim found Steve Garfin and what they, what they're doing, it, it just completely changed my life. I mean, I'm just, I'm just doing fantastic. That's awesome. And, and, and what I'm a lot. And I'm going to be able to get to watch. I rode my bike for 35 miles this morning early and I'm recovering from another stress fracture in my foot. And I was just, I, I tend to do a lot when I'm feeling great. And so anyway, uh, just starting back on my bike, got 35 miles in and tonight, I'm going to get to watch stage 18 of the Tour de France. The, the, Very, the, that I did. I promised I wouldn't tell the, you what happened. Last mountain day. And just before I came on this show, I got a call from a, one of our children, Nate, who was just fantastic. And what a story his life is. And, but Nate, Nate called just to say hello. And he was, he was jumping into the Tour de France today. I said, Nate, please, I got to do this show with Brett. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to be able to watch the tour until later tonight on stage. So don't tell me. Don't said, tell me what happened. Dad, it was just epic. epic. I've been watching all the stages. There's 21 stages, and today is 18. The next three are flat. And so, you know, the the, diff, the separation comes, you know, in the mountains in, in, in bike racing. And it's uh, and I have no idea who won today. I've been I'm uh, up to speed on every, on first seventeen stages, but today is eighteen. And today's eighteen. I'm ready to roll. And I had John Fogarty coming in. I had an hour and a half with Brett Boone, and now I'm going Ant McCrossin, Nicholas Roach, the Tour de France, stage eighteen, Vingegaard and Tadej Pogacar head to head on on Hodakam. UCLA Hall of Fame number retired. Oh, enough of that. I'm no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to finish this, though. <laughs> College Hall of Fame, NBA Hall of Fame. You've lived a freaking full life. Uh, player, dad, broadcasting career forever, still going. Um, what marks were you hoping to make? And what marks do you want to make going forward? I'm just getting started, Brett. And... The lessons that I've learned, I'm a completely different person today than I was just getting started. You know, I, I started playing basketball at eight and basketball, you know, is so much fun. W what a platform, what an opportunity that I've had to be part of so much goodness. And the things you learn, you know, the, J John Wooden, he has thousands of maxims, billions of ma maxims that he would always deliver perfectly. And he, the one he wrote for me on the day I graduated, June 1974, to Bill Walton, it's the things you learn after you know it all that count. And so that sits on my other desk in the other part of the house. And so as I sit here and think back, and uh, Jerry's got a song, uh, Mission in the Rain, all the things I tried to do but only did halfway. Some people, some folks would, some folks, some, some folks would do anything to have just one dream come true. So many of my dreams have come true, but I got a lot more. I'm just getting started out here. And my job is to be that human forklift, that human solar panel. And my job is to shine the light and to be part of the light. I was there. I was there at City Field. John Mayer became Michael Jordan. I was there. The NBA. I was there. I was there at NBA seventy five, which was over the top incredible. I was there NBA fifty, over the top incredible. And now I'm here on the Brett Boone 
podcast, Hoover High, Crawford High, Orange County, U.S. <laughs> Major League Baseball, and now a media mogul. Wow. Media I, mogul. I, I could add you to my list of uh, – I'll send you the list of the great broadcasters that I've worked with. And then yeah. you work it in in some other broadcast. And I, I'm going to put your name on the list. I love it. Okay, Bill, here we go. Bill Walton, thanks so much for coming I'm on the Bill, podcast. You're Brett. You tell your entire family thank you. Tell the Nettles family thank you. Tell the Williams family. You tell all these baseball guys who have had such an impact on my life in creating the culture that we have right here in San Diego that I have the privilege of growing up in and living because I was there. I was there at Hoover. I was there at San Diego High. I was there at Crawford High, I was there at Helix, just fantastic. I was there at Westgate Park. I was there at Petco Park. My mom went to Lane Field. And so it was just, I'm the luckiest guy ever. Never more so than to be part of your show, Brett. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the ride. Roll on forever. Here we go. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 